Thanks for listening to The Real Life Podcast. If you live in the Erie area, we invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or live on Facebook and YouTube by searching Real Life Assembly. Now, here's this week's message. Uh, we're calling this the Sour Subject Series. Um, and uh, from time to time, or what would be normal for me is a little bit more of a preaching format, but uh, we're going to kind of turn it into a little bit more of teaching moments about some subjects or some things that are maybe current in our culture today or some areas that, uh, that, that kind of maybe hit us a little bit sideways or that we feel a little angst or a little funny about. And so we're going to tackle a bunch of those over the next couple of weeks. I would encourage you uh, that if you have your real life app with you, if you have your device and uh, want to jump onto our real life app page, at the very bottom it says sermon notes and you could just click on that. You can follow along with a lot of things that I'm going to share uh, today, or maybe if you have thought about it, you're going to study a little bit more uh, over the next uh, couple of days or the next week or so, and you want to look back to what, what was it that we talked about on Sunday, that a lot of that information will be there for you. So make sure that you use that, use that device. We're starting to implement some of the ways to invite you to our life groups as well. Um, kind of a slow rollout came out for a way to, to contact those of you that signed up for life groups and a way for us to communicate and connect. So there's going to be a lot more features uh, that that uh, makes available for us today as well. So, all right, so last week we introduced this series, this sour subject, and uh, with really just kind of a, a beginning question that I think that we've all kind of fit into at some point in our life, that we've had some kind of experience that has happened in our life that just didn't sit right, that maybe there were a lot of things that, that kind of felt like, yeah, but there was just something somewhere in the middle of that, that that just set kind of something deep inside of you just off or just a miss. I, I mentioned if you uh, weren't here last week, I received a, an email maybe a year or two ago from one of the older ladies in our church and, you know, basically just really asking for money uh, for a, a niece or a granddaughter. Um, and, and it had all the parts in the email that, that seemed to be somewhat legit. But as I was reading it, it just didn't sit right with me. It was like, man, I, it, it, like this could happen, but it seems just off a little bit, and we did a little investigation about, is this the right email address? Did it get sent from the right servers? And all of those kind of things, and everything checked up. And, and I, I even talked to a few people, like, I, should I go to the bank? Should I get money? What should I do? And the more I kind of felt about it, I just, it just wasn't right. So I ended up calling her and saying, hey, did you send me an email that whatever? And she was like, no, Pastor Jim, I would, I would never do anything like that. If there was ever a need, I would probably call you. And I said, yeah, that makes so much sense. But this email was so much legit feeling and, and on the onset that, that uh, I knew that there was just something maybe amiss about it. And I think that you and I have probably had more things like that. Maybe you were walking somewhere and, and, and the situation or the circumstance that, that, that you were maybe in a new place or a different place. And all of a sudden you get this sense like, like something feels weird, right? Like what to do about all of that? I said last week, but when I was a kid, my mom said when I wasn't feeling good kind of in my stomach, my mom would say, you have a sour stomach. Has, did any other moms ever say that? Or as kids, you kind of heard some of that, right? That, that something is just not sitting right with you. Well, I think when we think about these experiences that we have in life, um, we realize that there are some things that we experience that just don't sit well with us. Or sometimes 
in these experiences, we're not sure really what to do with them, right? Sometimes we just kind of walk into them or they get presented to us and it maybe catches us off guard a little bit. Or it could be that culture has become so accepting of certain behaviors that we don't know what kind of response to give. Like it's just kind of this, this increasingly mushroom that, that has almost seemingly come out of nowhere and has gained such traction that it almost catches us off guard a little bit and, and we don't really know what to respond. And so we're gonna take on one of those that I think are probably kind of in the crosshairs of culture today. So today I've entitled these, uh, this little word, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And I want to talk to you about this concept of gender identity or gender reassignment that uh, I think, again, is kind of in the crosshairs of our culture today, this push for self-identity, the, the, the uh, awareness within people for you to be identifying who you really believe you are. And so in this kind of discussion or, you know, in the, 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 the challenge of culture around us, I've talked to educators and I've talked to medical professionals who have actually received training and actually have been warned of even disciplinary actions if they don't respond or use a desired pronoun that a particular person is now self-identifying as. Do I have everybody's kind of focus and attention? Right? There are a lot of people that not only did this kind of mushroom and blossom seemingly almost overnight, but now kind of whether corporate or the professional world is, is bringing disciplinary action. If we are not responding to people the way they are now identifying them as to who they say they truly are. And so where do we stand as culture has embraced this idea of self-identity and all of this new terminology that, uh, that we find in our culture. Um, I appreciate uh, Pastor Bailey helping me out a little bit today. These subjects are not easy, right? I'm sure that some of you have opinions, and believe it or not, maybe even in this room, we may even have differing opinions, right? And so we're going to have to find out, like, well, where do we stand, maybe as a believer or as a church, on some of these things that have kind of swept across our culture today? And so here's what I want to say right from the beginning. I think that before we look at this issue and maybe even other current cultural issues, I want you to please understand that there has not only been a massive shift in the world around us, but also in the church, kind of big C church, around some of these issues as well. I think years ago, uh, there would have been much greater consensus uh, of the church to be able to call out what is considered unnatural or sinful practices to a much greater degree. Uh, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, I think kind of the church as a whole would have put their foot down to a lot of these things much stronger, much quicker, much bolder. But as much as kind of the culture is shifting and changing around us, unfortunately, so is the church. We are living in a society certainly of tolerance, uh, false tolerance, right? Acceptance, kind of false acceptance. Everybody wants to be tolerant unless you disagree with what I believe, right? Then we're intolerant. Hello? Right? So it's kind of false 
tolerance. Uh, in an age and age where we are declaring that God loves all people and accepts all people, regardless of their lifestyle practices or their orientation. And in addition to that, we realize that there are a number of churches, even right here in Erie, that promote acceptance, affirmation, inclusion, and love to people who are living contrary to biblical values and teachings. Wow. Right? So not only has culture shifted, but, but we have to unfortunately bring truth that is going to be in somewhat diversion to what other churches are teaching about some of these issues as well. You see, I think it obviously sends a confusing message to our community that the church is living within extremes as well. There are churches that fly rainbow flags and talk about everyone's welcome, everyone's included. And there are others that, again, are standing for biblical truth and values. And so as a community looks that even to the message of the church, it seems like, like, like there's all kinds of sides and nobody knows what the truth is. So again, it seems to affirm that we're free to identify, we're free to believe what we believe as truth. And when we start to live in that kind of culture, we find ourselves in big trouble. We realize that I think the, the, the hand and the voice of God over his people becomes even more heavy upon us. And unfortunately, again, along these lines, the rhetoric of today states that if you oppose anyone else's opinion or orientation, then you add a, automatically are a hater to the max, Right? So, so the minute we try to respond, the minute we try to, to rebuttal or, or debate, you know, this kind of issue that you are instantly identified then as a hater. And so obviously where is the point where we can talk openly about these subjects and these ideas and, and what becomes the base for what we truly need to believe and what is most healthy for our community and for our culture. So let me be clear today about how real life addresses these issues that are tinderboxes in today's culture, right? Where we can be identified because of the stand that we make as a hater or uh, that, that we are anti this or that, whatever. So let's be clear on a couple of things, okay? So first of all, we don't hate anyone, all right? Thank you for the seven of you, all right? Come on, I know some of you are nervous about these subjects already. You're like, oh my gosh, right? We don't hate anyone. Listen, we can't just say that. We got to believe that. So I know some of you have strong opinions, and, and I want to caution you that you don't let your strong opinions cross a line either, right? We have, to, we have to be honest, and we have to learn in this process as well. Second of all, we named the church on purpose, we want to be real with people. So we want to be real. And so as part of that, we realize that, that there could be other sides to the situation. That, that there is a point of which we take our value from. But our desire is, is that we be real. That we want our walk and our talk to match. Thirdly, we're always going to hold to biblical values over popular or over cultural opinions. 
Okay, that's part of our fabric here today. So we're going to listen and we're going we're to understand, but we realize that the, the, the basis of which our belief is going to be based on is biblical true, biblical value over what is culturally acceptable. We will listen and not rush to judgment. There are a lot of people that are not within the church and they're not within a church for a particular reason or reasons, and one of them is, is because of the action of the people inside the church. And I think that we have to be cautious about that. I think that we have to be people that do have, that we are long-suffering. Anybody read about that in the Bible? It's what? Uh, it's a fruit, right, that should be growing. So we realize that these tinder boxes, right, these are buzzwords. These are things that can get people fired up, right? And you want to just kind of get your biblical machine gun out, right? It just, right? And the fact is, is that the fruit of our life is that we should be forbearing. We should be long-suffering, that, that we take our time and not rush. And that at the end of the day, we can lovingly disagree, right? So we realize that, that some of these, and, and some situations that you get into are just going to be argumentative, and it's very difficult to find compromise in the midst of an argument, right? And so we realize that to, to make ground, we have got to listen, um, that we can't rush to judgment. Sometimes, again, we listen more than, than we talk in a moment. So let's kind of jump into this, again, kind of cultural, fast-growing kind of mushroom that's in our culture today about, about identity. And so what is the truth about our identity? So I think the headlines today are debating transsexualism, transgenderism, this gender identity, or gender dysphoria. You might say, well, pastor, what, what is this gender dysphoria? It's described as a feeling that your biological, genetic, or physiological gender does not match the gender that you are now identifying with or perceive yourself to be. So when people begin to self-identify, it moves into this realm known as gender dysphoria that ultimately gives people the ability, the right uh, for you to label you who you are based on more of what is inside or mentality versus on your sex or your gender. So transsexual or transgenders often describe themselves as being trapped inside a body that does not match what they perceive as their true gender. And I think that changes in our secular culture are also changing vocabulary, right? It's almost hard to keep up with all of the changes in identifying around this whole idea of this gender debate. In fact, the term gender no longer simply means, I think for most of us in the room today, when we say gender, we would think male and female. But it doesn't mean that anymore, right? Culturally, we realize that that has gone out the window, that now gender takes on into account our identity, our personality, our expression, or our own self-identification. So believe it or not, um, again, based by, uh, you know, uh, different groups or different uh, areas that have, quote, been identified, there are now at least 76 determined gender identities that are out there. 
So, I mean, you can do your own research. Some, I don't even want to kind of take the time. It's more than, again, I know some of you in the professional world, the medical world, uh, the, the education world, where, again, a lot of this is kind of really stemming from, that, that you have seen the shift of kind of the simple pronouns uh, um, that people are wanting to be identified. So, again, it would be, quote, wrong of us to say him her, she, right? That, that now when a person does, you're, you're again radically offending me about based who I am on the inside. And that is what my gender now uh, is now projected as and that we should know that. So I think one of the other added challenging pieces, again, is this seemingly universal push or the rapid growth of this gender dysphoria. Um, again, I, I don't know, you know, haven't really overthought about it, but it just seems like within the last couple of years, would you agree? Like that this thing has just like rocket shipped like out of control. And I know that a lot of us are kind of like, what do we say about this? What do we do about this? What's, what's the position? Well, I think part of that rapid growth has been because of what today are social media influencers and Hollywood celebrities that, that promote this ideology that today that there is gender fluidity and that that is acceptable, that that is prominent, that people are getting hundreds and thousands, even millions of likes, like that social media is driving this idea that we get to say who we are. I think there is a, a side that peers that are embracing transgender, be, transgender behavior as popular and trendy, that there is an avenue for social celebration or uh, that, that this unique recognition is what people are after. People are trying to, uh, quote, make a name for themselves. And, and I think that we've been a part, whether from the, uh, you know, the Instagram, the uh, TikTok, I guess, or all of these social platforms that, that people now have all of these media platforms to somehow get garner attention from literally around the world. And I think that it has driven um, a parallel sense, a wrong sense uh, for people to get the attention that they think they want that unfortunately is misguided attention. And there are also now clubs that are sponsored even within our public school systems that promote this acceptance, whether of lesbianism, of gay, bisexual, or transgender uh, transgender identity. And so in some of the places that we would term that these things shouldn't be going on, that they are being promoted in these ways as well. I think that hopefully to be clear with you, and although we take on an issue such as this today, what isn't always articulated is that this gender dysphoria really consists of only 0.3% of our society. So 99.7% is on this side, 0.3% is driving this whole social revolution. So I think we need to put that into perspective as well, that, that believe it or not, the media isn't always right, right? That social media isn't always factual, right? That obviously this idea of manipulating the findings that that we've got to be careful about that ourselves. In fact, I don't know if some of you, again, even in our somewhat local news here for Pennsylvania, this past week, our governor vetoed a bill to keep transgender biological males from competing in women's sports. 
So a bill was put that boys should compete against boys and girls should compete against girls. But our governor vetoed that fact where there are transgender but biological males, they should give however they identify themselves to compete in any realm that they choose. And he called it discrimination against an already marginalized youth, I'm quoting, a marginalized youth demographic that comprises less than half of 1% of Pennsylvania's population. So now the extreme minority is given the spotlight, right, that is changing what has been norm in society for thousands of years. This issue of self-identification, self truly as small as it is, is certainly building a large footprint that is affecting our entire society. And so is it a sour subject? Yeah, to a lot of people. Maybe some of you in this room. And I also realize that there might be some of you that within your family, within your network, that you are dealing with these issues, possibly. Maybe, obviously, at your workplace, uh, about some of the, the dealings that you have with the public. Unfortunately, there is another statistic that is often not discussed as well when it comes to this issue, that 41% of those that deal with misapplied gender either consider or follow through with suicide. So of that 3%, right, 41% of that number find their own challenge in their life enough to still live so confused and difficult that life, again, becomes a challenge where they feel like they've got to end their life. But how many hear that in the headlines? Probably none of us, right? That we feel like it's, it's wonderful, it's acceptable, that, quote, everybody should just, you know, accept and, and, and promote this. You know, the Bible talks about that certainly in last days that that the dark will get even darker. And not only, again, my challenge is, is that do we consider that in the outside world or the secular world, but my challenge to us in this church world is that, again, the church has waffled on these biblical value points as well. And I think, unfortunately, for the history of the church that the, that the dark is getting darker as well. And so how do we navigate these very extraordinary circumstances? You know, a lot of people will say that the Bible doesn't explicitly mention transgenderism or gender dysphoria or individuals having transgender feelings. However, the Bible has plenty to say about human sexuality. So because the Bible doesn't pinpoint kind of the newest fad or the newest makeup label in the world does not say that the Bible does not address it at its roots. And so that's where we get our topic for today. That's where we get our basis about how we understand this issue today. You see, from our own understanding of biblical truth, the most basic to our understanding of that of gender is that God created two, and can I say only two genders, male and and female. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, for the beginning of this human race, that God created male and God created female. He created them and said that it 
was good. All modern day speculation about the numerous genders or gender fluidity or even gender continuum with unlimited genders is foreign to the Bible. So from beginning and from creation, the fact that the Bible may not address a particular issue is because the Bible believes the biblical value is that it is false and it is untrue. Not the need to, again, defend every new nuance that comes upon every culture throughout mankind. God sets the original, and he has stayed with the original from the very first one until this very moment today, that it is male and it is female. Even medical science, believe it or not, can back up the Bible. <gasps> I know some of you are amazed at that thought, right? Because even through this very morning, there are still only two scientific medically identifiers for male and female, the XX chromosome and the XY chromosome. You could dig as hard as you want and you will still only find at its very core male and female. It's who we are. You see, this proves to us today that God assigned our sex at conception, which verifies our gender and our role in humanity. You see, God has purpose for everything that he creates. And there is a purpose why God created us as male and female. And one of those initial roles is our role that we play as part of this creation that God originally formed for us, that being humanity. That every cell in our body carries the genetic code of our gender and our sex. And the physical attributes conform to almost every human being who you are. So I did talk with a few doctors um, over this past week, and certainly there are some anomalies. But the fact is, is that we should all be able to look at certain parts of our body and understand, I'm a boy, and the rest of you can say, I'm a girl. Yes? And that hasn't changed from the very beginning that God created us as men and women. That there are identifiers that God has placed that identify truly who we are. Gender and sex are equal sides of the same coin, no matter what popular culture or opinion is trying to tell us. So it kind of expands itself, it can in this discussion, is it nature, is it nurturing that promotes this kind of belief, or is it a plea of acceptance? And I think there's truth in all of those. How have we kind of gone off the line, off of what is the creative force of God to humanity, of us being male and female. Is there an issue of nature? I'll probably talk about it here in just a minute. I'll, I'll jump ahead of myself. But are there anomalies? Are there exceptions in anatomy that people certainly could identify with over the mix of this human race? Well, I think the answer is yes. Am I right, Dr. Lydia? Sure. Right? There, there are exceptions that, that there are gender confusion or gender identity parts that through the 
defect or through the birthing process and the mix of a variety of these chromosomes that, that cause some anomalies to take place. But by far and, and, and much, they are the rarest of exceptions. But unfortunately, the society that we are living in today, it is promoting the exception to become the rule. And really, that doesn't work anywhere else in our human society. But obviously, it is the basis for one kind of segment of understanding or belief when it comes to gender identity. Does it happen? Sure. We're not going to deny that. But we understand that it is in the most rare of conditions and obviously probably tracking it back through some family history or the chromosomal process is to recognize to see some of where those markers uh, have come about to provide some of that. Second of all, is it nurturing? Well, yeah, I think that for the confusion of people's identity, are we guilty in our society of changing up the rules of what has been predominantly understood as male and what is female? Absolutely. We have parents that are allowing even preschoolers to proclaim and to identify or uh, to say who they are or to identify in some sense of, of what they believe that they will be with parents saying today, they'll figure it out. And so we have and had for a while in our own preschool uh, a little boy coming in in princess outfits identifying and the parents saying, well, we're just allowing them to figure, we're just allowing him to figure out who he or she wants to be. It's a real head scratcher. There's this idea that there is a nurturing factor in our society that even from the youngest of ages, that rather than understanding and holding to biblical value and to physiology, that we're allowing this confusion to enter into these little minds at ages four and five years old. And it continues through a nurturing aspect to kind of uh, let this uh, expansion, uh, this being off of the original, be magnified that within, again, a few generations from there to realize that we are going to be far from the original as well. And so that's where I think this rapid growth has been happening where we would say, man, pastor, it just seems over the last five or 10 years, because this multiplying effect getting away from the original now sends us so far so quickly from what we understand as biblical identity. And then I think there is this idea or this plea for acceptance. There's no doubt in this big world that there are people that are lost emotionally, right? And one of the markers in, in a lot of, of these identities that are small minorities is this idea of acceptance. And so when kids grow up somewhat confused, again, whether from nurturing or whether from nature or whatever it is, and they find a group that is willing to, quote, accept them for whatever they believe them to be, listen, there is attractiveness to acceptance. Listen, it's true for you, and it's true for them. And part of this pull is, is that when they are living confused or they are being denied certain feeling, and there is a group that is going to accept them and identify with them and let them uh, just experience that whoever they are and to do whatever they are, that, that there is going to be a, a movement towards that type of, of inclusion. 
So in looking at what the other side has to say on these kind of issues, to defend these rarities, oftentimes they distort biblical teaching by expanding on possibilities within biblical foundation. So oftentimes you can read different articles and from those that are on the other side, and they will quote some of the very same scriptures from the Bible. Yet they will expand on possibilities that could be which what they interpret rather than true foundational truths. So let me quote a couple of things this morning. All people, including LGBTQ individuals, were created in God's image. And they quote, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And here's their truth. Here's their definition of this biblical value. The use of the two primary genders in this passage is likely a murism. Not true. Or a figure of speech by which a single thing in this case, humanity, is referred to by a phrase that lists several of its parts, but does not list all of its components. So basically what they're saying is, is the Bible sets out a thought, but it's not a complete thought. It's up for interpretation by us. It goes on to say, in the other creation passages, day and night are specified, but not twilight. Seas and lands are mentioned, but not creeks and marshes. Vegetation on land, but there is no reference to algae. You see what they're saying? They go on to say, secondly, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but the and represents all the things in the middle that is still up to us to discover. In other passages, he says that God is the Alpha and, which is what? Beginning and end in the alphabet, the, the first letter and the last letter, but he just identifies himself as being at the beginning, at the end. It brings room for you and I to exploit what we can interpret as what God meant in the middle. It's these likely foundations where they begin to twist the truth and biblical foundation. All people are justified through Christ, including LGBTQ people. 2 Corinthians 5, God was reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting man's sin against them. Again, false interpretation. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace by which we now stand. They go on to say that this is not to say that being LGBTQ is a sin, but if it were, it would certainly be forgiven. So again, part of it is, is that unless we come to the true understanding and interpretation of biblical truth and value, again, spinning off personal interpretation will always allow people to label themselves whatever they want and to be able to live however they want. That there is no truth unless there is absolute truth. 
So what is the biblical view? What is it that you and I need to understand? At the heart of the transgender experience is gender incongruence, this eternal sense, internal sense of gender being at odds with one's birth sex. And a common way to deal with this incongruence is to show a preference for one's internal sense of gender as representing one's true self over our body. So they want to separate, right, that, that it is not one, but the ability for it to be two. So in other words, if someone with male genitalia has an internal sense of being female, then he should be probably understood as a she, that the body has no vote. So at the basis of this argument, or at least parts of the basis of this argument, it is separating, right, our internal sense versus the body that God gave to us through birth at creation at conception. So here's what we need to know. The biblical theology of the body, however, argues that there is the essentiality of the body in determining our identity. You can say amen there. So what the Bible says is that our body does get a vote as to our gender and to our sex. Hello? If you're not sure, someday when you're at home, just look around your own body and you'll get it. The Bible says your body gets a vote. This is who you are. The scriptural witness of the sanctity of the body remains regardless of the shifting culture in the understanding of gender. The biblical theology of the body involves at least three central Christian doctrines. So if you don't think that this is needingly or based in deep theological truth, then this is what you need to hear. What separates, again, the biblical value of the way God created us to be male and female only is that it is proven through the creation of humanity, through the incarnation of Jesus, and through the resurrection of the believer. In each of those, the body is paramount to biblical truth and understanding. The creation of humanity, we find that the right interpretation is that God created each of us, male and female, male and female only. It is a central core of biblical teaching. It's where it began. I'll share in just a couple of minutes. We'll, we'll flesh these out. These doctrines witness that the human body is fully appreciated a part of God's wonderful creation. God's creation of humanity as male and female is at least because God intended for humans to reproduce, and at most, God's intention for humanity to be male and female, to be related to human incompleteness apart from our sexually differentiation of others. In other words, society is built and formed. God's plan is built on his creation of making us male and female, of us being able to produce, for us to form humanity, to form a society that will be in oneness not only with one another, but will be in oneness with him and him alone. God said these two shall become what? 
one flesh. The only way that happens is through male and female. Parts are parts, amen? According, I think, to the chicken purveyor of Purdue, right? Parts are parts. And we have those parts that identify our gender, our sex, but also identify God's plan for humanity. Until Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, in the Hebrew language, man is known as Adam. The Hebrew word is Adam. So God created man. God created I know we think, well, God named him Adam. Well, Adam is the word that in this pre-man, before woman, is how man was known as Adam. But beyond verse 23, with the introduction of the female of the word. So Adam means from the ground. The word was Adama. That man was created from the ground. It was Adama. And we get Adam from that. But now after the created of woman, who's in the Hebrew, was the word Isha, that man is now identified for the first time and thereafter as Ish, meaning that woman came from the man. Ish shasha. Ish being man, isha being woman. They're realizing that even man recognized that there is now two that form the one, that she coming from him, that man as male remains incomplete without his biological sexual other without whom neither she nor he could be known or know themselves as female or male. How do we know the difference? Because God created us differently, but provided an opportunity for us to have union together in the confines of marriage so that these two could be one and that spiritually we could be one with him as well. That's why God didn't create 76 different genders. God brought it together in simple harmony that, that how he has formed us to be with each other, so it is that we are one with him as well. God intended humanity to be in his image as male and female together because it makes humans necessarily relational beings who not finding completeness apart from each other, also recognizing their incompleteness apart from God. Listen, our humanity, our sexuality, is not something that we're afraid to talk about in church. God is the author of sex. God created the opportunity, not only our biological sex, but, but the union of a male and female to be beautiful to be honorable, and to be a part of the formation of a society, hopefully that will uh, uh, link itself to biblical value and form a godly people. So it's not taboo for us to talk about this, but it is for us to realize that when it gets multiplied over away from the original, that we have to come back to the original. We have to understand what was the original conception. So not only in the creation of humanity, but second of all, the honor through part of the incarnation. John chapter 1 says that the word of God became flesh. You see, the honor of the body is that God himself 
came down and took on human flesh. The deity of Christ is that he was 100% God, but he was 100% human man as well. So how could we degrade our human body, realizing that not only God being the creator of humanity, but he came down and dressed himself in human flesh as well. That he identified his role as a man while he was here on earth. It shows that the human body was created by God and embodies the presence of God. Yes? This is why the body does get a vote. Yes? That it's not simply based on however I identify myself. No, you have got to take out the reasons why you are doing that based on the biblical truth that you can't get around. That this body, as although unfortunately today stained by sin, was given to us as a gift from God to honor Him in our body. And thirdly, we recognize that this body we know one day is part of the transformation, part of the process of the resurrection of the believer. That not only did Jesus die, in fact, when Jesus came back from the dead, he had what? A glorified body. He didn't come back as a glorified, identifying gender spirit inside, right? He came back, what, as a glorified body. And the hope is, is that one day you and I, in the resurrection, in the transformation, the Bible teaches us that we are going to get, what, a, a new body. Why? Because our bodies matter. Because our bodies are part of God's basic form of humanity, and it is honorable that we live as a man and a woman. So let me give you a couple of quick truths and we'll finish today. So what are at least five biblical truths that we need to understand about gender? First of all, gender was God's idea. So hopefully that's not a big shock to anybody today. But we understand that the basis is, is that this isn't something that we believe. I'm not teaching you my belief today. I'm helping you to understand that our belief is based on from the very beginning that this was all of God's idea. That that passage does not leave myriasm. It's not a, a, a sense that, well, it says this, but it's up for interpretation. No, God's, God's word is not, it's up for biblical interpretation, not up for your or my interpretation. It is what it is. Gender is not a cultural constructive that individuals are forced into. It is the design of our creator and yet simply another aspect of his glory. The Bible says to us in Ephesians that we are what? God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are a miracle. This body should be honorable. It should be honorable in our everyday life and it should be honorable in our marriage as well. Yes? These are spots where you get to shout amen, not just say amen. Second of all, masculinity in men and femininity in women are both celebrated in the Bible. Psalms 1 depicts the role of a man and celebrates the man. Has anybody read Proverbs 31? 
where it talks about a Proverbs 31 what? Woman! And how honored and blessed. The Bible understands both sexes and both are honorable before God. They are a reflection of the image of God and he himself understanding diversely the roles that we play in society. Number three, gender, like many aspects of our life, is determined and fixed by God. Psalms 139 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He knits us together in our mother's womb. Here's one thing that I find ironic. There is an irony that is happening right before our eyes within those pushing the LGBTQ agenda. For years, the primary argument used to defend homosexuality is that it is fixed from birth. I was born this way, yes? Many argue they were born gay, and so they cannot deny who they are. Now, however, this same community is arguing that gender is not fixed, but rather quite fluid, and now can be chosen. So my question is, what is it? Which way is it? Unfortunately, when we follow the winds of culture, we will be tossed around from decade to decade, from year to year, from month to month, and day to day. That's why God says his word stands strong from the very beginning until the very end. So you might not agree or might not like what I'm talking about, but this truth, our truth, has never wavered from day one. While the Bible number four assigns different roles and responsibilities to each gender, it, condemn, it also condemns gender inequality and discrimination. So again, this is the part for you and I, when we are living in this day and age, that I, I want to just caution us. This is the part where we are not judgmental, right? That, that's our first, like, kind of out, out the gates, that, that we should not be verbally disparaging against people that are living a confused life. So our verbiage, our action, our lifestyle, I, we don't have to agree, right? But, but I hope that you are not using language or words or you are harming people in some kind of discussion. That's not biblical or that's not godly either, Okay? Number five, confusion is real, and it is a result, as with sin, the curse that is upon humanity for going against God. And so God is not the author of confusion, but we know who is. And so we realize that this push against what has been of the decades prior against the sanctity of marriage, right? How many remember it was probably less than 20 years ago we had to have a, a Supreme Court ruling as to what marriage was? We had to understand what man or woman meant or what, what a marriage was. You remember that? Not too long ago, right? That we realized that there is this sense now another step away from what God has reserved as honorable, as godly, as holy. I can't say that isn't it interesting because unfortunately I think we understand the world that we are living in that isn't it amazing that it is all of these things that are under attack, certainly have been under attack, but even to a greater sense today, everything that God has said is honorable and holy is the tip of the spear 
that is being come against our society and humanity today. So we recognize that people can and do experience deep-seated confusion about all kinds of issues in life, and this certainly includes gender identity. But again, hating or hurting people who are struggling with confusion would be in direct violation of the gospel. Equally damaging is affirming their efforts to find clarity by abandoning what God so clearly gave them, their biological gender. So it's part of the reason why the church cannot stay silent on this kind of issue. So we have to be engaging in conversation, but we can't be harming or disparaging in the midst of those conversations as well. As humans, we do not need new bodies. We need new hearts. Right, Josh? And, and I want to challenge you here today as well. If you think that, Pastor Jim, all of this focus has just been like outward, then, then you're going to miss part of, the, part of the word today. Because a lot of the thought, a lot of the teaching is this way too. And let me just kind of finish by saying this this morning. If you think that it's kind of only upon the part of the church or this church to speak against these outside, quote, sinful activities that we, you know, that we really get on our soapbox against homosexuality, you know, against lesbian, against all these different outlying uh, groups of people. Can I tell you that all sin is sin? Can I tell you that those of us in a heterosexual relationship that are not being honorable, that are not living valued lives as a husband and wife or as a parent, can I tell you today that you are just as guilty? That sin is sin. That if you are living a sham or a lie in your marriage, if you are involved in practices that are ungodly, then this same word is against you as well. The church is not against these outlying groups that, that they would think that the church is just simply full of haters. No, we have to be honest among ourselves and to realize that if we are dabbling or if we are tempted by sin or falling into sin, then we need to repent and we need the righteousness of God in our life as well. We got to make sure that we're not living in a glass church. Hello? Hello? And so I trust that you will examine your hearts, that you will strive to live a holy and a godly life as well. I hope that your attitude will be one of compassion, will be one to recognize there, there is a line based on the belief of biblical truth and value, but it does provide an opportunity for us to talk and not hate and not provide other fuel for some of these outlying groups to think that the church is just full of haters. That might be true, unfortunately, in some places, but I don't want that to be true of us. And if you are struggling in some confusion, I want you to know that there is help in this house for you. That you are loved as a human being. And if you have thoughts or, again, seemingly identity confusion, again, whether based on nurture, nature, whatever it is, I want you to know that God has, does have great love for you. 
that we as this church have great love for you and that God has clarity about what purpose and plan that he has for your life, honestly and legit, that we want to be people that want to help you live a full, blessed, godly life. Again, apart from sin, apart from confusion, but understanding who you are. We sang it a little bit earlier. Based on who God says you are. You are chosen. You are blessed. You're amazing in God's sight. You are loved so much that his son came to die for you. But not so that you could live your own way, but that you live his way. Amen? Come on, stand with me today. How many feel, I don't know, do you feel a little better? Still feel like, ugh, right? Listen, it's only going to get worse from here. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thank you for hearing these words. Thank you for accepting this. These are challenging words, and we want to do right by you, by those that, that struggle with these issues, and we want to do right by God and his word. Amen? So, God, we pray, Lord, that for those that might find themselves in this area, those that we come across, find ourselves in places that are dealing with these issues, that you would give us a mindset, you would give us understanding, that we are able to promote, that God has made us beautiful in his sight, that God has plan and purpose for us as men and women, to have purpose in this life, in this humanity, and also to have oneness with you as our heavenly father. So God, we honor you, we bless you. Help the church, help our community, help our environment, help our world to understand they are who they are because God has blessing, God has purpose over their life. We pronounce this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for finding real life with us today.